0: to all of you. And, and again, as it was mentioned, we're in the middle of the... Well, actually, we're nearing the end of the series on the seasons of life. I have one final piece of our, you know, six weeks that we've been sharing together. This is the winter. Literally, it is winter, so it, it fits. But it's also a discussion about winter. You know, what we were trying to do, just again, to get everybody sort of caught up, we've been trying to make a connection between the seasons of our lives... You know, just as in our youth and in our middle age, with the natural seasons, so that we've been trying to suggest that all of us have, if we think of our life in terms of around 80 years or so, we have a springtime, we have a summer, we have a fall, a mid, a mid, you know, an autumn time, and we have a winter. And we've been trying to, you know, sit with the fact that each season has its own unique characteristics and. We can learn something about how to live and think and consider what God would say to us around it. So um, we're going we're gonna to just push into this and, uh, you know, my, my heart's desire, my purpose for sharing this is so that we can think about life and death and life. I would like us to not only reflect on our own passing through this life and um, the promise of what the future holds, but also... Let that promise inform us or challenge us about how to live well in this life, how to, how to be a blesser. And so um, I'm just going to pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in, okay? But Lord, I thank you uh, so much for your grace towards us, for the gift of life, for the gift of the seasons. Lord, we're already, you know, we know it's wintertime. The weather's been very stormy out. It's been windy and raining, and we've been driven inside a lot. But uh, I'm just reminded of how quickly uh, the days pass. I mean, we're already, we're already you know, into a second month. We're already into February. I mean, we just blinked, and, and we were at the start of the year, and now we're already a month into it, and it's, it's just flying by. And again, it, you remind us to remember that our life is really like a tale that is told, a vapor, here for a moment, and gone. And so no matter how many years we're promised, Lord, one of the things that we've been invited to do is lean into you and also to think about what it means to live a, to live a life that reflects something of your goodness in terms of the people we love and, and engage. And just, Lord, we ask you to help us develop our soul as we're pursuing all of our other things. And we just, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, and challenge us. And call us, call us up, Lord, as we think about this uh, this life of ours. And we ask this blessing in Jesus' name, Amen, Lord. Uh, Numbers is where we're going to start. Not the usual book necessarily. That um, I spent a lot of time in. Numbers was a book that talked about the wandering Israelites after they had come out of Egypt. And I have a reason for selecting this passage. And initially, it may not be apparent, but I just want to. Have us look at it together and use it as a kind of a launching point, but it says then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, This is what pertains to the Levites Now the Levites were those who were appointed to work in the, in the temp- temple, but in that s- scenario it wasn 't a building, it was a tabernacle, it was a tent. They had a mobile church after they had left, and they were in the, in the wilderness, waiting and they headed into the promised land, they had this, this tabernacle, and uh, there were different ones who were responsible for ministering and for setting it up in, in a specific way. And they were, things had a, uh, you know, a particular place where they were supposed to go. There were symbolic meanings to everything in the tabernacle. And there was a group of people, these Levites, who were given the responsibility to take care of the temple, uh, the tabernacle, to minister to the people, to set it up, to take it down, to carry it. They were given this entrustment. Now, one of the interesting things about it is that they had very specific guidelines that were given in terms of uh, the kind of way in which they could serve given their age. And we know that uh, it's very specifically stated here that between the ages of 25 and 60, I mean 50, 25 and 50, the men who were the Levites who worked in this tabernacle were given most of the physical work. But at the age of 50, there was a change, a shift. There was a transition point. We read about it here. It says that at the age of 50 years, they must cease performing this work, and they shall work no more. And they have a a different role to fulfill. It says here, they may minister with their brothers in the tabernacle of meeting to attend to the needs, but they themselves shall do no work. Thus you shall do to the Levites regarding their duties. In other words, you are to stop doing at age 50 the physical aspect of the job, and you were to move into more of a, of a over, role of oversight, teaching. Uh, there was to be something of a, a kind of an advisorial role that you, you shifted into. And the, the reason that to, I'm bringing this up is because that's kind of the period where we usually you know, think about as mid, middle years, your middle years. And yet, for the Lord, He was making the case that there was something that was changing physically in these men. And they needed to make an adjustment. So it's fascinating to consider that because when you look closely at it, you realize that it is speaking to the fact that late autumn of life uh, begins to prepare us for the winter time. And there's, there's certain things that are associated with that period of our life, not the least of which is sort of the changing of our physical capacity. And that can be very humbling. One of the things that we know is that Each season, even though at the end of one, it might look like the beginning of another and could hardly be distinguished from it. For example, the end of spring, honestly, in in the natural, it doesn't doesn't feel that much different than the beginning of summer. But as we go along further into it, eventually, eventually, we know we're in summer. Same thing at the end of summer. It doesn't really feel too much different than early autumn, but as we move into it and we watch the changes coming and the days start to shift a little bit and the leaves start to turn into different colors, we know we're in the middle of fall. And eventually, as fall goes along, as nears towards its end, we we see certain things happening. It doesn't look that much different, the end of fall and the beginning of winter, but as we go along, things start to change. The leaves on the trees fall off. It gets colder, the days get shorter. Like I said, we tend to go inside more. The weather's more uh, unpredictable. We, we feel uh, differently given the season we're in. So even though it started off looking pretty much the same as the end of fall, it ends up being, we know we're in winter. So you know, that's an important sort of thing to overlay back because I think that um, with technology, and in fact, uh, somebody was a- asking me you know, uh, what, are, what is the exact age that uh, fall ends and winter begins? And they were, we were trying to pin me down. And I remember, I, I remember what happened to me last time when I gave out specific ages. Like, a lot of people were mad at me. Uh, so I said, well, you know, it sort of varies. And I said, I gave it kind of a range this time. Because no, nobody liked the idea of being put in a specific season if they didn't feel like that's where they belonged. And I got that. So I said, well, you know, it's somewhere along. But I said, you know, okay, if you're going to pin me down, I said... Probably somewhere in the mid to late 60s, winter, we're, we're starting into winter. Now, you remember the little model that I had presented from Strauss and Howe about, that, that they were some authors who wrote this book called Generations, and in, the, in it they kind of delineated the different stages of life. And they said that, that you know, they, were, they talked about the four pieces, and they kind of equaled up to 80 years in increments of 20. But then they said, you know, you get to a point where after they picked the number 84, after 84, and they had an 84-plus. So it was indefinite. That's what they called late elderhood. And the implication was, at that point, you're you know, almost on bonus time. You're, you're out there. You're out there. And who knows, you know, how long it's going to go. And, and here's the thing. You know, I, I was reading about the life and duration and sort of the changes that have come with medical technology and some of the advancements with that we've made and I was looking at some data because there's a lot of things that indicate that once people get past a certain age span in the middle years and can start living into the winter that those who get to winter actually have a greater likelihood of living longer than previous generations. And so what their point was, we're going to see more and more people living to be 100 or more. In fact, in this room there is no question in my mind that there are more than a few of us who are going to live past 100. Nobody knows who that is. We have no idea. We don't even know when our last day will be. It is impossible to predict that. I've talked about it before. It's like we have a calendar, the calendar represents our life. And it's interesting how we do this because most calendars you have, you know, they have square boxes. And each box represents a day. But one of those, and one box leads to the next. But one of these days, there's a final box. And that's it for this life. We don't really talk about that too much. But the fact is, you know, when we get into winter, we start thinking a little bit more about some of these things. And one of the things I I also, the song alluded to it, you know, when you talk to people who are older, if you have enough of a relationship with them, you you can ask questions. And since I'm a person who thinks a lot about life, I, I really do. I... I think I've always thought about aging and how that should help me to want to live better in the present. In fact, I think that whatever season we're in, it can help us to think about how we should be living. And, and anyway, the point being is I, I'll ask some questions about, well, how does, it, how does this feel? Uh, I'm not in, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I, I want to know, you know, what are, your, what are the fears here? How does it feel? I notice, so you get into conversations, and one of the things that's pretty clear is that winter time has things that clearly we lose and things that actually I think we can gain. And so just from the loss standpoint, uh, in fact, I put this, there's a, there's a passage. I mean, there's no question from a loss standpoint, part of what we lose is our, some of our vitality and our health or at least our physical capacity start to get diminished a little bit. Now, look, I put this passage from Ecclesiastes 12 in the handout. This is from the NLT translation, which is a slightly more modern translation than the older version that we often use. But I thought it captured this passage so poetically, it, it really speaks into this whole process of advancing years. Notice it says, don't let the excitement of youth, the preacher writes, Solomon writes, don't let the preacher, don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your Creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old. And you say, you know, life is not as pleasant anymore. Remember him before the light of the sun and the moon and the stars is dim to your old eyes and the rain clouds continually darken your sky. Remember him before your legs, you know, those guards of the house start to tremble. And before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember him before your teeth, I like this, your few remaining servants. (laughs) All right, stop grinding. And before your eyes, you know, those women looking through the windows, see dimly. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed. And the sound of work fades from you. Now you rise, he says, now you rise at the first chirping of the birds. You hear the morning begin. He says, but there's a day when the sounds will grow more faint and difficult to hear. Remember him before you become fearful of falling and you worry about danger in the streets before your hair turns white like, like an almond tree in bloom. And you drag... Now he's, he's getting really depressing here. And you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper. Wow. And then something that should connect with us moderns. Uh, and the caperberry, you know, we have pills that do the same thing, no longer inspires sexual desire. That's all I'm going to say about that. I'm sure, you'll see, I'm sure you'll see some commercials today reminding you of it. All right. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, and the mourners will weep at your funeral. Yes, remember your creator now while you are young, before the silver cord of life snaps. Notice the po- poetry here. And the golden bull is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well, for then the dust will return to the earth. And he didn't really have a conception of the fact that Jesus taught us that our, our bodies even will live again in a different way, but from Solomon's perspective, it was just ending. Your, our body it would go to the dust from which it came, which it will do, in, and he, in his mind, only the spirit would go back to God. And we've often talked about how we are really not human beings on a spiritual journey as much as we are spiritual beings on a human journey, and that at our core, it, this is not what defines who we are. This body will, this tent, which I love because it allows the expression of the Spirit. This tent someday will not be able to hold the life force that it now presently exists within it. There's a day where it will grow older and be incapable of sustaining what is in. And Jesus would say to that, and therefore remember to invest in the right things. But you look at this and it's clear, I mean, the points that are being emphasized here is that loss comes as we age, and it's a lamentable reality. It brings with it a kind of a loss of vitality, a reduction of our ability to enjoy. what you know what most of us would consider to be as we get older, as you advance in the advancing, advancing years, there, there comes a lessening of the ability to enjoy what most of us would consider to be the more pleasurable aspects of life. And that can be a little discouraging. You know, our health gets more fragile, for example. Those who are very old, things like colds and flus, things that would have been minor inconveniences, just to get through a few days, I'll be back on my feet, can be life-threatening. And there's this real fear also, you know, that comes. So we take less chances. We're more reluctant to take any risk. Uh, We fear... The loss of our autonomy and becoming dependent on other people. And I, I've talked and this some, I feel personally, some fear more, more becoming dependent than actually dying. The loss of autonomy. We need to be very considerate of that when we, when we are among the, the very old. And to be kind and to honor and to be respectful and to not be so, hey, this is hard because we're so busy. Somebody was telling me last night, as they were listening, they came up to me afterwards. He said, you know when you were talking about um, the aging process? He says, it reminded me of my mom. He says, you know, I go down south. and He says, we live in Pasadena. And uh, he says, you know what I do now, because my mom can't get around so much, but she loves to be outside. We go to the boardwalk, and she says, he says, I'll put her in a chair, and then I kind of jog with her. And he says, and, and then he goes, but there was this w- amazing thing that happened to me, and it was just one of those things that happened. Now, here I am, I'm kind of jogging with, with my mom, pushing her in the chair, and then another young mother is coming, and she's got her little guy in the chair going the other way. And for a moment, he says, we just both looked, and, <laughs> and, and we locked eyes, and it was like life passing in two different directions. And it's really a great picture. Of this is us at one point, and this is us at another. Life doesn't stay static. It moves in two different directions. One's coming, one's going. My wife, I don't know why she did this, but um, she had these things, she's had these things for a number of years. They're these little... Uh, They're they're cardboard, okay, it's like a, there's this, they're like picture sizes, eight and a half by 11 cardboard with little holes in them, and there's, I can't remember exactly how many there were, I think there were 11, something like that, could be 12, and then there's a a big oval one in the middle of it. So eight and a half by 11, little holes all the way around the edges, and then a larger one in the middle. And she's had these, and she's put them with, she's had boxes for our four our children um, over the years, and she's kept the pictures as they go to school. And so I had come home last night. I walked into the house, and she goes, hey, did you see that on the, on the, the counter over there? She goes, we just, some of the, my, my youngest daughter had a, just turned 13. She had some friends over, and they were working on cutting out some pictures. And so what had happened was uh, this, these, this cardboard thing um uh, <laughs> She put all the pictures from when our kids were in kindergarten. Every school year, they get a picture. And it goes in all the little ones. Some of you have seen this before. And then in the middle is their graduation picture. And I, I said, oh, no, I didn't see it. I went in there. I wasn't thinking about it. I, I didn't even know it. And so I looked at it, and I said, wow, because it showed each one of the four next to each other, each one of them when they were starting at kindergarten, each one of them. It, because of the way the pictures were it was like looking at their life aging before you till it got to the middle and that's wow right there and you could see the con- you could see the years going by in each one now, my last two they didn't have their theirs completed but the other two did and i said that's 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 amazing i said i can not i go i remember you know it was life life passes quickly and before we know it, we open up our eyes and they're older. But I remember, I remember, I remember that first picture. I do. See, this is, this is what I'm saying. You know, and it brings you back. And you go, wow, and never, and we're never going back. It will only be on that wall or it's just a reminder and neither am I. Life moves on in a way like a clock. So I was thinking about that. I thought, wow, okay, it's a, it's a time clearly for, for, you know, gaining and losing things. I understand that, and I, I, I think we, speaking about that, getting older, really older, you know, my, these advanced years. G. Campbell Morgan. I'm just going to refer quickly to these these are also in the handout. I do this every now and then. I'll throw in some things that I've been engaging reading-wise, usually from people that I admire or whose writing has particularly affected me over the years. Many of you have heard me at different times refer to the great preacher of the 20th century, uh, G. Campbell Morgan, who was also a Bible commentator. And I was reading, as I like to do, You know, when you get people that, who write something that you really like and you've over the years grown to have an appreciation for their art, one of the, whether it's writing or artwork, one of the things that's fascinating to do is to go back and try to find some biography uh, about their lives. And so I happened to find one about, about G. Campbell Morgan because he was somebody who I admired uh, as one of the great preachers of the previous you know, dec- um, century. And his sons and grandsons had put together a, uh, a book that talked about him at different stages of his life. It was a more candid look. And one of the pictures they had, one of the segments they put into it was something that had to do with him when he was getting much older in his life, probably somewhere in his 70s later 70s, and it says he, he was reflecting back because he lived into his 80s. He says, what are the things that I have lost? He's talking about this feeling of, he, in, the, in the book it talks about how he preaches his last message. And the man who had once been so fluid and able to do things, he was sensing that even with the wealth of experience that he could offer, there was a beginning, a, a diminishing of his capacity to even physically do what he used to do so easily. And so he wrote this. He says, what are these things that I have lost? He says, first of all, I've lost the power of recovery. Recovery from weakness does not come so quickly as it did. Recovery from sickness, not as, just what we were talking about, is not as rapid as it was. Recovery from wounds, he says, is not as easy as it was. And then he says this, especially the wounds of the soul. He says, the buoyancy is gone. The old resiliency is departed. And one begins to understand that when you're, and he's could you can feel it. One begins to understand that all tiredness is the touch of death. And if that touch is pressed long enough, he says, if it's pressed too far, it will become death. I found myself wandering over to the writings of another man who is actually still alive, whose writings I really admire and appreciate, named Frederick Buechner. Frederick Buechner was talking about how one birthday in particular really hit him the hardest, I thought, oh, that intrigues me. This is what he wrote. I had my 70th birthday, this is in the middle column, and it was the only one that really made an impression. He says, you know, 40, 50, 60, those birthdays they just slid right by. But he says, but this one made me feel shadowy and sad. He says, geriatric. He says, my great friend and poet, James Merrill, died. You know, we had known each other for, what, 55 years. We wrote our first books together one summer in Maine. And and then you see him catching himself as he's writing. He says, yet I I, I don't want to write out of the shadowy part of myself, but out of the part that is still young and full of joy. He goes, I think of the lovely fairy tale plays Shakespeare wrote in his old age, The the Winter's Tale, The Tempest. He goes, and then I think of the self-portraits, and this would really connect with us because of where we've been the self-portraits of Rembrandt, he says, how they were suffused with that golden light. He's thinking about that. That's what what he was saying was, these men did their best work in the last years of their life. he 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 was getting, he was shaking himself out of his discouragement. He was going, yeah, and I remember, think about it, when we talked about the return of the prodigal, how it was, it was an amazing thing that he did, but it was at the end of his life that he created it. And how sometimes, you know, if, you're, if we are willing to just work and do, you know, so just, boy, I mean, I, I, I think that what this is telling me is that one of the, here, okay, we know what we lose in winter. Let me tell you what we can gain. What are the opportunities? It's an opportunity to finish well. Winter presents us with an opportunity to finish well. If, listen, if we retain a youthful spirit and allow ourselves to be renewed day by day, like it says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, though my outer person is perishing, yet my inner, inner man is renewed day by day. Or like what Victor Hugo said. The, writer, the one who wrote Le Miserable and Hunchback of Notre Dame, winter is on my head, but spring is in my heart. I like that. I like that. I want spring to be in my heart. I want to stay. There's no reason why we cannot stay positive, optimistic, and creative as the years go by and as we age. By the way, I don't know about you, but I have noticed this. People, as we get older, we don't stay the same. <laughs> and I'm not just talking physically. In fact, I've noticed. Maybe you notice this as well. I mean, this is... Some people will we get older, or they get older, they get, they get nicer. And other people, they get mean. <laughs> leaner. And I, I think that some, when they get going, it seems like they were so busy, but now they have time. And they're not, I've just watched some people age so gracefully and beautifully. How they, how they have more time than ever. That's why I think, Children are blessed to have grandparents, by the way, because, and that's the blessing of the generations being together and interacting as well, because time, you know, I think back to my own life and my, my grandfather and, and how he had, at that stage in his life, in his last, in those late 60s and 70s, how he had time for me, I, I feel a time that my father never got, and how blessed I was because he had that time, you see? And there's something about people who get older, and they just get kinder. Not as I ah, don't worry about it. You know, there's a kindness, a gentleness, a kind of uh, okay. We're not in a hurry. The words, then honestly, and I've had a. By the way, when I say honestly, it's like not that I've been dishonest before. It's just that <laughs> I had one guy, one one person, one of my friends here. He always would say, "Honestly, pastor," and I say. Good. Finally, we're getting down to the truth because this has really been bugging me. You know, I wa- we're going to start now. So I, my feeling around this is that when you're around someone, I hear people get back to me and they'll say, uh, it is so hard to be around them. They're so angry, bitter. They're mean. And I'm trying to honor them. But it's hard. Critical words like the worst, the, the things that were always there, now they've got, you know what's interesting? It, whatever is there, it, it just can get consolidated. It gets like, oh, it's just like uh, the residue of coffee grinds on the bottom of a cup where the water's evaporated from. Just get murky, and it's been left out too long, and it, uh, it's pungent, and you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's like, you, you, you know, it, it's there's something about about it when, when someone is just bitter and angry at everything, and they can't, it's, just, it's, so, it's hard. They said you don't know how hard it is. I mean, it's just constant. It's hard to be, lo- to be loving to that. And I go, I, I, you know what? I, I don't really know that totally. I get it. I get it. And all I can say is, may the Lord give you grace to honor those. Because the blessing of honoring is as unto the Lord, whether or not that person was deserving of it. And if you can do this, you are doing a Christ-like thing. But... I'm gonna. I'm gonna say that I think that people, and, I, and that's everything. Is I'm around a lot of younger people who are shooting through the house all the time, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you what I've observed, and as I can say this also as a participant in the culture as well, we, we live in a fatherless and motherless generation, where people have been let down a lot, and so there's a collective feeling of disappointment and reluctance to trust. Because I know, indeed, by the time this is done. You're going to abandon me or hurt me or I'm going to be disappointed if I invest my heart into you because I don't trust you. I've seen it. I've seen it. Things don't stick together. Why should I commit? I I get that. Why am I saying that? Well, I'm saying it because I think that we have an opportunity to live well and be a blessing for others. People need to see it. They need to see people making it One of the things that most has inspired me in this life is watching older people who stayed in love with God. Not perfect. Kept their commitments. Still creating. Still loving life. Like, um, there's a psalm, the bottom there. Psalm 92. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Look at this. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. But key verse, 14 they shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. That's what I want to be if I'm allowed to live long, is to have, and, that, and those are the people that really inspired me. Now, think about all the people we hold up as role models in our culture. Go, oh, this person's a great person. You know what? It's a, most, we've seen, how many have we already seen the last couple weeks? How much tragedy, fame. Someone was telling me about it at lunch they had with a person who was well known, famous. And I was intrigued. And I said, Well, how was it? He says, Well, he goes, I'll sum it up with this. Fame is vastly overrated. <laughs> and what he was saying was that wasn't that impressed. How many people, I mean, look what's going on. I mean, it's just a mess. People, it's imitate Jesus was right on. He was spot on. As I know, he, he is. That's what he does. <laughs> when, he said, when he said, you know, don't be deceived about what <clears throat> investing yourself and in somehow seeing your worth and what you achieve or what people think of you, your fame or this or that. I mean, he says, don't, 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 don't even define yourself by what you own or pos- temporarily possess which is good medicine for us in our culture. Even today, we're going to be reminded of all the things we need and all the reasons why we should be dissatisfied with what we have. And you know what I'm talking about. Jesus said, don't do that. He said, lay it for yourself honestly. Be rich towards God. Build things with an eternal perspective. Lay it for yourselves treasures in heaven, not just on this earth. Don't just live with a horizontal mindset. Live with a vertical one. Remember you were born, anyway, we can see, this is, you know what I'm saying, so the, I look at what's going on, and I go, oh, it's just a, they're a mess. Hurting. They got everything, got nothing. Remember what we have. Here's why. The decisions we make now will affect what we will become in the future. And I'm going to push a little bit more to that and say, if we are Allowing our soul to stay underdeveloped, it will affect the type of older person we become if we're allowed to have that blessing. That one of the best ways to do is to start establishing now patterns in our life that represents paying attention to the things that really matter. And then learning how to take the eternal and apply it into the moment of our daily living, which is hard. It's hard to take that and then bring it down to my everydayness when I'm all by myself and I've got choices to make. But that's where the victory is really won and the good life is truly built. It's in the little moments stacked on each other that over time speak of a life that genuinely reflects the goodness and grace of God. And other people are blessed by it because they see the fruit fresh and flourishing even in our old age. That's, okay. And, And then secondly, quickly, It's about drawing closer to God. It gives us an opportunity. You know why? Because we're not in a hurry as much. And what does it say? Sometimes we are given the gift of slowing down. And and what's the good thing about that? Be still, the Lord said, and know that I am God. The stiller we are, (laughs) the opportunity to know God is enhanced. And so sometimes it's good medicine for us to just be able to pull back. And then as we get older and say, you know, I'm not in control. Lord, what can I do? I'll pray. I've had some people say, you know what? I can't do as much as I used to do, Pastor, but I'm, I'm going to pray for you guys. I said, thank you. You gave me a gift. You gave me a gift. Prayer. Your prayer penetrates the future like an arrow shot from the bow. And if it's sent with an honest heart in the name of Jesus, it has power far more than we know. It can affect the generations of, of our own People and friendships not even yet developed, or even people even born, by the power of prayer shot through the generations in time. It's, dyna- it's dynamite when we really hold on to it. Lastly, when we're older, we get to understand that there is something of, a, of the of the value of cultivating and embracing the promise of you know the life to come and the restoration restoration of our lives with greater vigor because we're getting older, it means more to us. There's, okay, this is what I'm going to try to say, that if you love life, I love life. I'm so grateful for the gift of life. But there's a point where if our life, I've watched this, if there's a part where it gets to a place where we lose, we're starting to lose so much that part of us is going, I love life because God put it in us to love it, to want to live. And something's very wrong when someone doesn't want to live. But there's a part of us that starts to yearn for a day when I, I can once again experience something of the freedom that my life was meant to bring me. There's a part where we start to lose enough where parts of us start to yearn even more for the promise of what Jesus offered. A, it begins to appeal to us. We'll close with this final quote from John Dunn. And I don't want to be anticlimactic, and yet it means something to me, all right? So our last day is our first day. Our Saturday is our Sunday. He says this as people are dying all around him, living in the middle of the great plague. I talked about it last week, the black plague that was going on, when a third to a half of Europe was being wiped out every day. He would open up the paper and it would list names, almost a thousand names of people who died that day. Hence the the great poem he writes, For Whom the Bell Tolls. It had to do with people dying and someone of notoriety, the bell would toll. And so he he says this as he's thinking about life and death, and he thinks he's dying, remember? He thinks he's dying And John Donne. He says, our last day is our first day. Our Saturday is our Sunday. Our eve is our holy day. Our sunsetting is our morning. The day of our death is the first day of our eternal life. The next day after that comes that day that shall show me myself. Here, he says, I never really saw myself save in disguises. There then I shall see myself, but I shall see God too. Here I have one faculty enlightened and another left in the darkness. My understanding sometimes cleared, my will at the same time perverted. What he means, I don't always do what I want to do. I don't even know myself as I really think I should. He says, but there I shall be all light, no shadow upon me, my soul invested in light of joy, my body in the light of glory. He was... He was reminding himself of what is yet to come. And think about it. This is what Jesus said. For those who follow him, death is not the end. It's the end of the beginning. And I don't want to just say it at Easter time. We have a risen Savior. Say it all through, the, all through the year. Lord, I thank you for the gifts that you give us. I thank you for your words of life. I thank you for the invitation that you offer us to walk with you, to make this journey together, Lord. I pray that we be a people who are more committed to being a blessing to others, and I know a lot of that comes down to the choices we make, and the choices we make are connected to the reality of your presence working in our lives, and that is a product of our willingness to engage you and also to invest ourselves relationally with others who are do- making the same journey, so it's all, it's all tied together there, Lord, there's no secrets on how to do this right, but yet it's hard sometimes because we get so caught up in this and that, and We're not really paying attention. Then every now and then something happens and it reminds us to think deep, deeply, to have long thoughts, long thoughts. And so in a day when we're all going to have a lot of fun, fun and games, we're thinking about life and death and what really matters. Help us to live well by your grace. Bless these closing minutes. Let us not be in a hurry. Pray that you just allow our offering and giving time be a blessing as well to you and also this song that we end with. May it, may it be a fitting conclusion to what we've shared. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord.